everybody has an easy fast, and like we said in the keynotes, it should turn today to a day of Sosa Mitzimcha instead of the Yogi Mbanafa that we have currently. Um, continuing on the topic that we've already been doing for the last number of weeks, I saw an article that I thought would be very relevant. There was a historic Asifa in Lakewood to discuss general studies, secular studies, and they decided that the way they've been going cannot continue. Changes must be made. It seems that at the Sasifa, many of the Rosh Yeshiva in Lakewood took place. Rabbi Aaron Feldman from Israel, Rabbi Shmuel Kamenetsky from Philadelphia, Rabbi Yitzhak Sarotskin, and some others. It seems that Rabbi Ryzen was there. A number of different of different uh, rabbis from different parts of the Torah community were all there. And they said, quoting Rabbi Feldman, that the textbooks currently used by the Lumudechol departments are conveying corrosive messages. The problems begin in elementary school, reading material that showcases children disrespecting their elders. It continues through high school, the values and ideals being injected into the minds of our boys and girls. Through these secular texts are not appropriate. All parties, all of us are party to this status quo by purchasing and utilizing the secular textbooks. The urge schools to do everything possible to change the textbooks according to the values that we have, regardless of the cost. Rabbi Feldman stated that the goal of the Mude is to impart skills required to make a living in Umnis Nakia that will allow our children to sit and learn Torah with Muchas Anefesh. So we have to be able to write and read English well and be able to operate within the society around us until Mashiach comes. But we must immediately avoid transmitting false values that corrupt the minds and souls. Um, <coughs> they said that 50 years ago it was different. Then to give an example, they said the following. Here it discusses the depravity of Sparta in glowing complementary ter- terms. A ninth grader's notes on global studies provide details about the Protestant Reformation that took up a few pages. <coughs> Math books from a boy's cheder showed previous ticket pictures that the school had covered over with a white label. A math book example asked students to find the ratio of the ninth grade boys and eighth grade girls <coughs> that would be attending a dance. These were a small sample of the hundreds of examples that were collected over the past few weeks. <coughs> so, what I want to get out of this is again to reiterate what we've said over the last number of weeks, which is the issue is alive and well. Nothing has changed over the last thousands of years. The issue is alive and well and percolating (coughs) as to the right amount 
of secular knowledge that one must have. Does one have to know about Sparta and Athens to know about Avedis Hashem? Do you have to know about the Protestant Reformation? Do you have to know about the Indians and the pilgrims in order to be able to be close to that <laughs> I think it's a valid question. And it's certainly a question that these rabbis are going to be on one side of the spectrum about. And eventually we'll try to see if we can find anybody on the other side of the spectrum. But so far, I've been trying to weigh it down, show the problems. Because they're real. It's not so simple. I didn't know. But my wife showed me last year during COVID that the, you know, the kids were home from school. So she was showing whatever, like, well, the books are studying, whatever. I literally had no idea. But I opened up their books that they had in the Yeshivic time of the say. And they're all Jewish books. In other words, the science book is a book that's written by a front guy. The science book is approved. And has a kashras emblem, right? Has a stick of approval, has a scrumus in the beginning. The literature is approved. I don't know if it's every single book. Maybe it was that year. I don't exactly know the details. I don't know if they started in the first grade. I'm not sure. But to me, that blew me away. I had no idea. But even when I was a kid in an incredibly Haredi school, they still had the secular books. It was a secular math book. It was a secular science book. They would rip out the pages. You would see color in any picture of a girl, fine. It was still published by non from source. So last week, you recall, we discussed the first ban on the Rambam. We discussed the ban of 1232. This is the situation <coughs> where the Ramban found himself approached by protagonists involved in the ban in the south of France today, then Provence, Montpellier, Urshlem and Ahar, others who attempted to ban the Rambam's mayor in Abuchen and the Sefer Amado. The reason, ostensibly, was because it contained heretical material. The Ramban pushed back, as we know, we said this was really the second ban. The first ban was the Yad Ramban itself in Spain, in Toledo. We didn't like what the Ramban, what the Ramban, I'm sorry, <coughs> was saying in relation to Chiasa Mason. The second ban, the Ramban pushed back and he said a number of reasons we went through last week as to why it's not appropriate. And in the end, seems to have dissipated. But it doesn't die. As we see today, it's alive and well. These issues have always been alive and well because every single time a person opens his eyes and leaves the cocoon of his house, he's immediately confronted with the issues. So they're never going to die by definition. They're always going to be percolating. They're always going to be coming back. And how we deal with it from generation to generation is an insight to who that generation is and to what they're about. So we have a very interesting insight in the 1230s as to what Provence at that time was about. What kind of a what kind of an area was it? 
And the kind of an area was was certainly a place that was more intellectual, more open intellectually to the secular world. But if you look throughout the Balayatetzer, how many times they quote the Rambam? In Shas, they quote the Rambam, I think, twice. Once, I think, in Brachas and once in Menachas. It's the only times they quote the Rambam. Balayatetzer. I think he quotes the Rambam five, ten times. Right? And that's barely the case. He quotes the Rambam a number of times, maybe 50 times. But most of the places that we have, which is the places of Rabbeinu Shamshin sense, the Rashmi Shams, almost no mention. Not every Masechah, different sense of the Rambam. That's generally, there's no mention of the Rambam. Is that because they didn't like the Marnavucha? Is this because of the band? Remember, the rabbis of Tsarfas in 1232 did join the band, some of them at least. It's not clear to me that that's it. Well, the rabbi was totally not there. But his book spread like wildfire because it's such a genius, such a sui generis work. So that's why they batted it in, in south of France. But some rabbis from northern France join. That's what the Balatesis are. But they don't join the band on Moss, just a few. But they also don't quote the Rambam. So the reason they're not quoting the Rambam is because of the band. Some argue that in the past. Academics argue that. Other academics say it's not true. I personally don't think it's true, per se. They didn't quote a lot of people. They didn't quote the Rivet either. The Rivet was not, you know, certainly not a controversial person at that time. They didn't quote him either. Why not? It wasn't relevant to their approach. Look at the way the the, the biotesis are doing a sugya. They're not doing a sugya like the Riff, like the Rama, like the Raj. They're doing a sugya. It's a dialectic. That's the whole point of what the agenda of the Balatesa is. I think they don't quote the Rambam, but there are many who say, no. The reason the Balatesa don't quote the Rambam is because they didn't believe in it. They didn't hold it the second study, Shabbat. As I say, the Rambam diffuses the situation. In a sense, Rishayim Ahar dies in ignominious death, according to legend. Again, we talked about this a little bit on Shabbos, of Skinam. According to legend, I don't know if it's true. He wasn't happy with the fact that the Ramban and many of the other big rabbis said, like, hold your horses, slow down, we're not doing this. So he went and mastered up to the secular authorities. They ended up burning a lot of books at the Ramban. In the end, they took revenge on him. And supposedly he was, he was, uh, his tongue was taken out. Yeah. We know what happened to Rabbeinu Yaina and his writing of the Charchuva as a means to atone for what happened. <coughs> we also know about the burning of the Talmud in Paris, the loss. <coughs> Rabbeinu Yechiel of Paris, one of the Balayatesis of the dispute there, and blaming of it <coughs> on the way they treated the Rambam. Okay. So now, I should mention that this one random Balatesa, it's not a well-known Balatesa at all, but he has a pshat, I mean, a fry. He has a pshat, and will like come, 
the last part in the Zeta Brock, right? He says that uh, <coughs> that's a reference to the Rambam. Of course, the Rambam used the Pasuk as a reference for his book. But he says it's a reference, it's a foretelling that one day the Rambam will arise. Not all over the Bible, it's obviously against, against the Rambam. But again, it's a one-off. It's not, most of it is just ignored. It's just not, it's not spoken. All right, so now we go from 1232 to 1300, right? We skip basically generation to generation. And what happens is that Provence has become more intellectual. More intellectual, not less intellectual. And there are drushes on Chavez, people getting up and darshaning about Abraham and Sarah as being not being real historical figures, but rather being philosophical ideas. And people are giving sermons allegorizing all parts of the Bible. In other words, if you take the rules of the Ibn Ezra, for example, right? The Ibn Ezra has rules. When you allow to allegorize the Tanakh. Rabbi Nasajigai has rules when you're allowed to allegorize Tanakh. Right? In other words, when the, when the Pasuk says in Parshat Yisrael, that Hashem says to the Bnei Yisrael, that if he's only, right, school of Mikola Amin, right, you're my treasure nation, right, I took you on eagles' wings. Does that mean that we left Egypt on these big, bald eagles? Does it mean that? Everybody says, no, we didn't go out on eagles. Right? When the Pazik says, Kibas to Kurita Shaf, yes, today is Israel, Beti is up there, it's Rafar, it's Emmer, it's a machlekes over there between Rabbi and Lezer about whether or not that was Sukhoi's Mamish or Ananiak Kavu. According to one who holds it, Ananiak Kavu was me. It means that we went out with Ananiak Kavu, started talking about Ananiak Kavu. We had our, our Ananiak Kavu around us. That's what that's over. With the puzzling we read a few weeks ago, Parsha Arm, but Sue has still is at Ashamai, fortified cities to the have mean that they had the Burj Khalifa, that means that they have thousand foot towers. What were the ziggurats? What was the height? This is not this is not a situation where most commentaries understand the Sukim literally. They understand it allegorically. But there are rules in place. But in Provence, they're running roughshod on all the rules. They're basically saying the entirety of Chumash before Pajas, but they're allegorizing everything. It didn't have to happen. There was no Mabel, there was no Avram and Sarah, there was no Yitzhak, none of it had to be real. You can imagine the consternation of many folks. They were like, whoa, what's going on here? We know that you're allowed to, allowed to allegorize something. Right, what's the most famous allegorization in Tanakh? The most famous allegorization in Tanakh is the corporeality of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. <laughs> And it wasn't the Rambam who started to make this a big thing. Oh, look, very famously, right, he did it throughout Chumash. Every single time there's a situation of God's corporeality, where it says, right? Every time it talks about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Doing something physical, right? Hashem, by Yerin Hashem, Lurai says so. Yerin, that's how big goal. 
All that stuff. Almost already went out on a rampage. And he said, each and every one, he retranslates, not literally. So now we are in a situation of where? 1300. And people are giving allegorization shiurim all the time. And guess what? It's dynamite. Everybody loves it. The rabbis at the time, some of them are very concerned. And they're very unhappy. So what happens? What happens is that these rabbis start saying that this is Chazer trade. You can't go to this. Or it's terrible. It's bad for the Jewish people, right? Okay. So what happens is not enough. People aren't listening. They're the local rabbis. They look familiar. Nobody's impressed. Some people listen. Most people do not. So they write letters. The different rabbis around the world at the time, Spain, France, etc., to get them on board to try to get their imprimatur, to try to get their approval, that this is the right thing to do with the band. And eventually it gets to the Rajba. The Rajba, the Rajba, the main student of the Ramban, is active in Spain at the time. In Barcelona, and he is, you know, the Gadlador of the area for sure. He gets involved in the controversy. And he is very unhappy about what's going on. For a few years, he's going back and forth with the main protagonist of the band. His name is Abba Mario. They go back and forth numerous letters. There's a book, if you want to see it, you can get it on Hebrew books. I have it printed at home. Called Minchas Kenas. It's an exchange of letters between the Rashba and many other rabbis in Spain and other rabbis in Provence. Literally a hundred letters back and forth, back and forth. It's written from the perspective of Abba Mari. This is his reporting of the events, his reporting of the letters. But we have the Rashba's reporting as well, because there's a few chuvas of the Rashba where he talks about this. It's not exactly the same. But they both get across at the same points. So I wanted to go through some of that because it culminates into the ban of 1305. The ban of 1305, I'll just say at the beginning, what was the ban? The ban was on studying secular studies. <coughs> it is different between the Rashba and Abba Mari's reporting of it, the ban, but effectively, it's certainly on the physics and metaphysics of Aristotle. There's no ban on the Rambam. Remember, the Rajput is the main student of the Ramban. His own Rebbe wouldn't ban the Rambam. He's not going to ban the Rambam. And in fact, in some versions, they specifically exclude the Rambam from the ban. There's no ban on the Rambam this time, but it's a ban on secular studies. It's a ban of different gears either to the age of 25 or to the age of 30. An absolute ban. It's a ban on learning and it's a ban on teaching it. And interestingly, again, many years, says it's a ban for 50 years. That's it. The rush, I think I have, I have, I don't want to get through right now, but the rush, which I have over here, the rush said in his, remember, the rush lived in Germany, right? He's not a French politician, he's a German politician. Y'all remember the story that Martin Wittenberg was kidnapped. He was taken away. And he refused to allow himself to be ransomed. That was the way that the, you know, the parts would make money. He would you know, take that big rabbi, and then people would be there. Rabbi said, no. 
Under no circumstances, the price is too high. It's going to keep on getting worse. We have to lay down a line of sand. You don't redeem me. And he died in prison 13 years old. They still wouldn't let him. They still wouldn't let him be released until that rich Kabir paid for him to be taken out. You can see the graves today of the Kabir and the Maran still in Germany. The Rosh knew he was next in line. He came to the Maran. He runs away to Spain. And, you know, they say, can us say from Tarbukhov, how many times the Rav is not to have him, somebody's encroaching on their place. The Rajbah welcomes him, the Rosh with open arms. Welcomes him with open arms and says to people of Toledo, which is another town near, near Barcelona, hire the Rosh. So the Rosh is a German rabbi. And he's being hired. And if you remember, I did a thing a month ago, whatever, we did a few chewers from the Rosh. We talked that the Rosh tried. Well, I don't know if we did it two weeks ago, maybe it was in Chuas now. We said that Chuas from the Rush, where the Rush is saying, don't look at me in the negative that I don't know enough from the secular studies, because I can still hold my own in Gemara. I'm just as good as the scholars, you know, in terms of Gemara learning, even if I don't know anything else outside of Gemara. But the Rush, in his signature, in his uh, addendum that he writes to agreeing to the ban, says, if it was up to me, I'd ban him forever. I wouldn't ban it to the, you know for 50 years. I wouldn't ban it to the age of 30. I'd ban it always for any age. But the Rajbah said this, so I'm going along with the Rajbah. So that's the opinion of others. So I wanted to go through a few truths from the Rajbah here, which bring a light onto this topic. <coughs> the first truth is right at the beginning of the child, she was a Rajbah. It's truth uh, number nine, literally. So this chuba is a question that the Rajbo has faced in relation to, uh, if you're looking in, the, in these um, handouts, it's like page, um, I don't know what page it is, but it's number 42, number 42. So here the Rajbo was, was a, a question about um, what is the appropriate way to relate to secular studies when it challenges something from the Torah. So he says the following. He says, the, If you ask the philosophers, they would say that there's no, there's no um, term to the world. There's no end date. Because science is totally based upon nature. Science doesn't have anything that's beyond nature. So the question is, do we listen to that or do we listen to our Kabbalah? Our Kabbalah says that the world does have an end date. Which one trumps? Says the Rajvah rule. The rule is the following. Um, he says, and this is a rule that he sets down for generations, that if there is a tradition that we have uh, prophetically or from a Kabbalah, then there's nothing that can come along in the secular world, in the science, and contradict that. And then you'll see something in the Rashba that he says a number of different times. He constantly repeats the point, and that is he says that and they don't trust science so much. He's like, have they been able to explain magnetism? You know, magnetism didn't go didn't really get a good understanding until the 1800s. 
He's like Aristotle. <coughs> Excuse me. He's like Aristotle would deny the veracity of magnetism, except for the fact that everyone sees it. It's in front of all of us. But by nature, no one can explain it. <coughs> so he says, <clears throat> every scholar, every Torah scholar, I can see them. Kishayira, they have philosophy, anybody who's going to see words from the philosopher is going to seem right in their eyes. He says, but if the situation comes up, where the science says something, it seems true, we don't doubt that part of it, and it's not contradicting the Torah, it's not contradicting a mitzvah, then okay. We will reinterpret what the Torah says and allegorize it to make it work. There's nothing wrong with that. What's the issue? The issue is that when it challenges a core, when it challenges a core belief, a tradition, a deeply held tradition, whether it's by Nebu or by, or, or, or by Kabbalah, that's when we have a problem. That's when we can't do it. That's when we can't do anything about it. So that is one shoe from the Rashba. The next shoe from the Rashba I want to mention is a shuva about dreams. It's a very short shuva in Tafchest. Remember the Gemara Brachas about Baradaya, right? This guy who uh, interprets dreams, right, for a living. And, you know, Abai and Rabba, they go to him, one Abai pays him a coin, he gets a nice interpretation. Rabba doesn't want to pay him, so it's a bad interpretation. The end, the end of the story is not very good for Baradaya. Right, but the Gemara says different understandings of dreams. Right, either or what the gives different iterations of what a dream is. So a guy wrote a, a question to the Rashbam, and he says, "Is uh, the Pisra of a Chalai?" By the way, classic parsha. Right. We have that uh, Bilam comes from where? Pesera, Asher Al-Anahar. Right? And if you look later on in Pashas Matos, Pesach says about Bilam, um, I'm sorry, in Pashas Vaxchanan, uh, that the Pesach Vashir Sochar Alecha is Bilam ben Armi Pesera. Right? Pesera. What is Pesera? Pesera is a simple understanding of the place. The Targum Sudo Yenison, right? The Targum Yenison in the Zeal says he Pesar is because he was first the That was what he did. That's why it's called Pesar. That was his business. It's a very beautiful Arachayim that talks about it. That was how he did his business. He was always being first the Chalim. Huh? Yeah. No, I'm saying he that was his side job. <laughs> it's a beautiful archive. It talks about how he used to make he used to make money by by uh, by knowing how to how to you know trick people into thinking that he could tell the future. Anyhow, so the person wants to know: Is Baradaya correct? Is, is this more about Baradaya correct? Is it whenever you do a, a piss run for a chalim that that's how the chalim turns? 
That was the question that he asked. Says the Rashbah, Teshuva Zu Sheila Philosophus. Right? This question that you're asking me, this is a philosophical question. I don't like where you I don't like where your question stems from. I see where you're coming from. You're really in the philosophy game. You're asking You're asking because you assume everything is natural. So what should I have to do with the pisson of a chalayim? How does that impact anything? Right? So that that that's what the Rajput says. And then he says, so by the way, you might have asked, second Rajput. This is not a philosophical tradition, is it? That everything goes after the chalayim? Look at the Gemara Brachas there, right? One of the versions of the Gemara Brachas is that what? That whatever you thought about during the day, that's what you have a dream about at night. So this is not a clearly a philosophical tradition that every single person who was Paisar Chalim was like Yosef HaTzadik. But Yosef HaTzadik was Paisar Chalim, and that's what it came. By Kasha Paisar Lonu, that's what the Pasuk says. But that's Yosef HaTzadik. His Pisrinus, they, you know, they were special. But Baradaya, who was Pesach was if he gets a coin nicely, if he gets a bad coin, he, he gives them not nice Pisrinus, that's going to be now the, a, 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 such a deeply held tradition that, that we have to hold like this 100%, says the Rajma. Yeah. So we see that even though in his earlier Chuva, he was seemingly a lot more tolerant, right, of not necessarily, um, you know, throwing away the science and the math. He was saying that you can use that, no problem, as long as it doesn't contradict the nature. <coughs> but now he's saying no. Even if the science and the math is saying that there's nothing to Pesorinus of Chalim, there's no validity that a Chalim happens to a person's mind, that that should happen to him in his real life, Nevertheless, says the Rashba, to say otherwise is wrong. And it's all coming from philosophy. And this is 100% against Chazal. All right. So now we're going to go to another tshuva. So the tshuva has vav. So here, the Rashba is talking about the man. So remember, it's already been years of groundwork. Years of groundwork until 1305, about three years of back and forth letters with the Rashba as to what they should do here. Now the Rashba is responding. In Haitika Parsha here, he says that these people, Ish Miktarase Biyaday, Esimu Kitara, Lufne Yavan of Nektura, Kizimri Yakriba, Samanjanis, Leneko. He says, You want to know you, you, these people from Provence who love the philosophy? You know what they're like? They're bringing Kitaras to the Greeks. It's like they're so in love with the Greeks. Like Zimri was bringing Kuzbi in front of Maisha Rabbeinu in, in, in last week's parsha. Right? That, that's how <coughs> much they're pointing over the secular, the Greeks, the approach that they have. So here is here is the text of the band and the way the Rashi brings it down, which I say is a little bit different. And the way it's brought down in the Minchas Kinnot. Says the Rajbavikazar By the way, to show you how strong the Askanim were in those days, 
it's not like a, a, a nine-day phenomenon. The Rajbo writes, and throughout the Menachas Kanas, you see it too, but he writes that all 26 of the big Kanakers, they agree with the band. All that scrum of agree with the band. It's not just the Rajbo. He's doing it with the permission of everybody. <laughs> Because we took upon ourselves with the Kerach of Acherim, a ban, so remember, the ban is, <coughs> the ban is Kerhaleinu, the ban is in Spain, on his own Kehila. The Rajba at that time doesn't see himself as having power in France. He doesn't have power in in the Middle East, he's banning it where? Spain. So the volume might issue make your lane of the Sifra Yavonim, Ashikibu Kakmas Ateva, Kakmas Elakus. We cannot study the books of the Greeks where in what? In nature, what's known as physics, Kakmas Elakus, metaphysics. Whether it's written in, in the Greek, which obviously no one really spoke. Let's copy it over in some other language. From today for 50 years. And the ban extends on a personal level until you're 25 years of age. You also can't teach anybody any of these things until you're the age of 25. Why? Right? Because maybe you're going to, um, you know, be Moshe. Remember we talked about Nimshach? Right? We said the Gebar Navadizar, shining Minas Mashcha. Same word again. We saw those words many times as they expanded. We thought of it initially in Gebar and heresy only. That heresy is Moshe Kalev. And then we applied it into secular studies as the Rashba does here. So again, the band is what? For 50 years in the study of physics, metaphysics, whether it's in Greek or any other language, A, B, is a, a ban on anybody teaching or anybody studying any of these kinds of wisdom until the age of 25, and a ban on teaching anybody any of these wisdoms until the age of 25. So both the teacher and the student have to be over the age of 25, and there's a ban for 50 years on these specific works, and this is generally on any other secular studies till the age of 25. Yeah. So that, that was the ban. But we, we have excluded, by the way, they did the ban. In the end of the Shuvah, the Rashba says, they took a Sefer Torah and they got up and they announced the ban. But they specifically excluded this ban. We excluded the ban from the ban medicine. Medicine is the school. You're allowed to study medicine. Even though it's taken from books on nature, <laughs> Why? The Visha Torah Nitna Rishus the Rapa the Rapas the Rifa the Rapas the Torah gives the Torah gives her hetter 
for what? For the doctors to heal? The Torah gives her a hatter for the doctors to heal. So now we move on to another chuba. The very next chuba there by the Rashba. Over here, by the very next chuba here, he brings out all the signatures who signed on the down of all the rabbis in Spain. And he says the following. He says that the cause of all of this is this misinterpretation, this allegorization of Tanakh that we've seen, that we've been talking about. A person ends up believing in Aristotle, believing in the Greeks, and being prayed for by Tyrone. He says what we're hearing is crazy ideas that go against all the Torah. That what? That nature, for example, is impossible to change. It's impossible to change nature. That's what the Greeks hold. Right? Nature is eternal. It's always been like this. It always will be like this. People who are following the Greeks, it's not merely that they're denying aspects of the current. They deny the fundamental. What's the most fundamental of all? That the world is not eternal. That there was a creation ex nihilo. That this world did not always exist. This fishbowl that we call our universe was put into place by Akadosh Baruch Hu. However you want to describe how it happens, be relevant at the moment. But the world is not eternal. That is the most basic understanding of all of Judaism, that there was a creation. They deny that. These people are following the Greeks. They deny that. And then, of course, they deny the miracles in the Torah. Why do they deny the miracles in the Torah? Because nature doesn't change. Seas don't split. Who doesn't fall out of heaven? <coughs> Fires don't come down from heaven. So he says, so that these people, the Mamish denying everything. The Haram, the Bechem, we we made a big band, Gashir Tiro, as we saw that was going on here. Are the age of 25. You have to have learned. If you didn't learn, the fact that you hit the age of 25 is irrelevant. So you have to be Malik Krasai with Taira. When you hit that age, then okay. And these books written by these provincial scholars that allegorize the Torah, they were smart saying that Avram. Sarah at the novel on the screen. None of it was real. They wrote books like that. Those books, Asher Asu Yisra for Bishabas Leinayim. Bezek Kimishloy Shonim. Tesadu Lahitzi with Tanina Lakavon. This book should be burned, burned on shop. I don't know whether or not that, again, to severity, whether or not they were actually burned. 
on Shabbos. I don't know, but they were certainly burnt. And again, what happened here wasn't that the other side sat around and said, oh yeah, please do this, no problem. Who was the great rabbi in Provence of the years 1300? Right? The great Meiri, the family of the Kimchis, the Radak's family, the Ibn Tibbins, the approved translators of Maimonides, they didn't take us to the town. It's not that they agreed that Avram and Sarah were primary Surah. That's not what happened. But they didn't feel a ban was appropriate. They didn't feel that there was much of a danger. And they didn't feel it was appropriate that the Rajba from the middle of Spain is writing to the south of France and Provence to tell them what to do. And so they reacted back and they weren't very happy. And what did they do? What did they do back? They made a counter ban. They made a counter ban on the Rashba, counter ban on Abu Mari. <laughs> I wanted in the next page over here, I wanted to bring down a couple of the letters from the Minchas Kinoz. So here, I'm on the 46A. So here he said, Amru Kia. So this is coming from a letter now, right, in the Minchas Kenaz. Right, this is, uh, this is the, again, the, the, the booklet, the pamphlet, the safe was put together by Abamari with the back and forth. So here in this letter, this is the Rajma writing. And he's writing basically what we've already seen in the Ramban by the first band. He says that the Ramban was for Yad. He learned a lot of the secular studies. Why did the Ramban do all of this? He was shocked, yeah, and all the secular studies. Why did he do it? He did it to protect us. He did it so that all the smaller minds would be able to not have to go through all that to get the information. They can get everything they need from the Rambam. As it were, he distills it for us. He makes it comprehensible and makes takes away the taint and the difficulty of the kfira aspect of it. He says, the Pashegan Adas, Nunam Eis Chachmim Barcelona, Lumnoya, Nayadim, Lumba, Chachmas, Atefa, Velakus, Sifra Yavan. This is the same man that he read it in the Rashba, that you're not able to study these books. Ah, the Yaisa Ben Hachaf Heishan, until you're the age of 25. And then he gives the his version of the Cherem. Pasach Dibri Acher Mahu. Right, so here it's explicit. Remember before, in the Rashba's version, it was about who can study um, these uh, secular works with only those secular works of medicine. But here it's very clear that you can't have a ban 
on any books to the Rambam. They're not going there. We're not trying that again. That didn't work out well last time. All right. So then we get back now. The last um, citation I wanted to do for today is the Minchas Kanoas here, the counterban that the rabbis of, of Provence did against the Rosh, against the Rosh, against all the people in the state. So he says, how could you ban us? This is your ban is Michlal, not a ban. The Rosh is writing. He signs on like 25 other rabbis. Your ban against me is not a ban. I'm not worried about your ban. And the line that he has here is, Misha Someone doesn't like onions. Onions is bad for the heart. Doesn't like gives him heartburn. It didn't have uh, what's it called? Tums? Doesn't have tums. So I am is not something that they ate on Shabbos. This guy doesn't want. He doesn't want to just have egg. Doesn't want to have any onions. You're going to be able to put this guy into the because he doesn't want to eat onions. You would say absurd. Of course, you would say absurd. What's happening over here is all we want is people who are worried about their kids going off the dark. They're worried about their kids being suffused and infused with syrup. So all they're trying to do is protect the children. And you're banning them for that. Recall the way we started today's class. With what happened in the historic Asifa and Lakewood. What do they want? We can make fun. Yeah, sure. It's easy to do that. But all they want is to protect their kids. It may be not a sophisticated approach. It may be infantile. It may all be true. But all they're trying to do is protect their kids from what they see as a terrible thing. Talk to cool this. You know how the ban ended? The ban ended in going into oblivion. You know why? Because in 1306, the Jews were banned from the Islamic life. And so this entire mindset is regulated to the destiny of history. And it's only relevant to people who are bored have extra time in there. But the reality was that this time, again, the fight no longer had any strength. There was no longer left to fight. The Jews were thrown out. But as we see, it never goes away. Line because the terrorist commanding us to live a certain kind of a life, and that life is all.